All right, so uh, last week we talked about relationships in the afterlife. That's a big question that often comes up of, you know, will we know each other and, and that sort of thing. And we're kind of where I focused is on the nature of God, right? That God, uh, as Trinity, is, is communal. That's, that's part of who God is, right? God is love, and love requires having another to show that love to, to share that love. Um, and so we're a part of that, right? God creates us to be a part of the community that God already is and to share that same love. And so to me, that says that, of course, relationship uh, is something that will be in the next life as well. It's not just me and God, but that we're all reunited. And you can make a pretty good case for that from, from some scriptures. Uh, and so today we want to talk some about what do we do, though, right? What's it going to be like? Um, how do we spend our time there? And again, this is one where it's not so easy to say, like, well, here's a verse that says we're going to do this and this, like the itinerary <laughs> in terms of, you know, what your day and schedule is going to be like for eternity. Uh, but again, we can look at the story of Scripture and, uh, you know, the bigger picture, and that can help us understand a little bit. But before we get into that, uh, I do want to start there with kind of some of the ideas of what it's going to be like. What are we going to do? So what are some of the things that you've heard? What are some common views of what we do in the afterlife in heaven? Again, this can be what you think or just what you've heard and you strongly disagree with it. Uh, we're just trying to get, you know, the ideas that are out there. Sing songs and hold hands and praise God. <laughs> yeah. Eternal church service. Right. 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 <laughs> and so, Right. Uh, how much that appeals uh, maybe depends, right? I've been in some worship times that have been amazing and felt close to God, and I've been in some where that wasn't the case. So, um, and we can see some of that, I think, especially like in Revelation, there's a lot of talk about worship and, and people being before God's throne. Um, but we'll see that there's, there's more to it than that. Uh, what else? Some maybe kind of cultural views of what heaven will be like or what we're going to do there. I think it would be, uh, uh, I guess I see it as kind of a relaxing, non-stressful, uh, mm -hmm. just kind of a, uh, just a very pleasant uh, time that, that uh, you know, where it, it, it's just, I mean, because right now, you know, even before this coronavirus, we, we all in our lives are typically run ragged mm -hmm. and we just uh, have more to do than we, than we can get done. And I, I just see that as being, uh, uh, a relaxing uh, a, a period of time for us. Yeah, rest is a biblical idea. Even the idea of Sabbath, I think, kind of points towards that. Uh, Hebrews, I know, talks a lot about anticipating rest in the future. So, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, and then, but then you see a lot of, you know, I would say kind of cultural, pop cultural views of like you're just sitting around in the cloud all day, wearing a robe, be playing harp. Um, uh, or, you know, kind of building on that, uh, of it's, this is like retirement, right? So you just get to do all your hobbies that you didn't have as much time for in, in this life. Um, and, and again, those sort of views go in all sorts of directions that it's just like whatever fun thing or pleasurable thing or enjoyable thing. Uh, you just get to do whatever you want forever. Um, but, but, but wait a minute. We're told that we can't take it with us. So I guess that means that. <laughs> I'm not yeah. going to be able to well, you'll get a new one there. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's a little, 
problematic. So what I want to do here actually is I want to share a little video clip with you, which I think should work with the uh, sharing screen capabilities. This is from a show called The Good Place. Uh, anyone watch watch this? Yay! From the last season, <laughs> so hopefully it's not going to ruin anything for anyone. Um, if not, you can just uh, stop watching for a minute. Uh, but this is, uh, you're going to see like one idea of what, why it might not be so great to just get everything that you want all the time. Uh, and so there's the two main characters, uh, Eleanor and Chidi. They're talking with uh, it's Lisa Kudrow from Friends, and she's wearing a Jaguars jersey, but she's actually an ancient Greek philosopher. Uh, so don't let her <laughs> outfit. But she's going to talk about the problem of just eternal, infinite pleasure. So let's watch this and see what we think. On paper, this is paradise. All your desires and needs are met, but it's infinite. And when perfection goes on forever, you become this glassy-eyed mush person. But no, because, no, because Patty, no. Yes, I'm telling you, I used to be cool, man. I studied so much things, art and music and the, um, the one with the number piles, where I'd be like two, and you'd be like six. Math? Yes. And then I came here, where time stretched out forever, and every second of my existence was amazing, but my brain became this big, dumb blob. So we finally make it into the good place, and now we're just going to become zombies? Why haven't you told anyone about this? About what? Okay. Okay, so what, what seemed to be the problem there that she was talking about? So lack of purpose. Okay, yeah. yeah. There's no point if it's just me getting to enjoy what I want. Well, yeah, that actually would get old. Again, yeah. thinking in terms of eternity. And this is actually something that uh, maybe we should have talked about already, but we will talk about eventually is the word that the Bible often uses for eternal or everlasting uh, we can actually understand that in different ways, right? That word may not just be about the amount of time, right? It's about infinite time. Um, but yeah, you can see, right, that if it's just me doing the things that I want, um, enjoyable things, it actually would get old. If you have eternity, right? Like if you could visit all these places, well, you know, you could visit them a million times and everything would become kind of boring. Uh, you know, I would point the show, it's one of my favorites, but one of the issues is there's no real concept of God for them in, in the, that world of that show, right? So there's no God that they're relating to. And also their afterlife selves are basically just the same as how they are now, right? You die and then you just go to this next world and you're still exactly you the way you are. Uh, and so I think that, that changes the, the perspective a little bit too. Uh, and so for us, I, I think for one thing, we want to distinguish between, right, as we talked about the, the present heaven, right, that when we die, the idea that we go and be with God, if that's how we understand that. And then also the future, new heaven and new earth, right, that that's what's coming when Christ returns, God recreates all things, right, that those might be a little different. We'll get into that tonight, too. So if we're going to think about our purpose then and what we do then, we have to think about our purpose now. Right? We think about what we were created for in the first place. Uh, because I think that we should think of our heavenly vocation, right? Vocation is the word for calling and, and your work, what you do. Uh, we, I think sometimes we think that our heavenly vocation and our earthly one are different. 
but I think we should see them more connected, right? Understanding what God created us for now will help us understand where the story is going, right? So this is where we want to start, is to think about the big picture, the big story of God, creation, and humanity. And again, there's, there's different ways we tell this story. I think a lot of times the typical way that this story gets told in churches, hi Donna, um, it, the typical way the story is told is, well, God created us uh, to be in relationship or to serve God, but we sinned and messed that up. So God sent Jesus to die so that we can be forgiven, and then we get to go to heaven someday, right? And sometimes that's called uh, the gospel of sin management, right? That the story is really just, well, we messed up, and so somebody needed to die. Jesus died so that we could go to heaven someday when we die. Uh, and so really that story is just Genesis 3, and it jumps to you know, the crucifixion in Acts chapter 2, although Acts never mentions heaven uh, as like the point of, you know, in any of the sermons, they're not talking about going to heaven when you die. Uh, and it kind of makes Jesus irrelevant as a person, right? What he taught, he just, all he needed was to die, right? It's kind of transactional. And there's no purpose to our life other than to choose the correct belief, right? To believe in Jesus. And, and so, in, right, I hear people talk about that this life is just basically like a testing ground, getting to the afterlife, right? It's all just a test, whether you're in or you're not. So I think that sells a lot of things pretty short. Uh, and actually, Scripture tells a much bigger story, right? We want to start at Genesis 1, not Genesis 3. And we see that God created a good creation, heavens and earth, and that they're, they're together. And then God creates human beings to bear his image and, and to reign over earth as God's representatives, right? So this is what we see in Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. I know some of the things, we've, these things we've probably talked about in here before, but uh, again, it's all going to be relevant, I think, as we think about where's this story all going, right? Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, all the wild animals of the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps along the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish, over the sea, the birds of the air, and every living thing that moves upon the earth. All right, so here the... The key idea of what we're given to do, what we're created to do, is to have dominion or uh, to subdue creation. Um, so what do, you, what do you think that means? Right? And you may have different translations. Um, if we're doing that like God, what does it mean to reign or rule over creation somehow? Well, it would seem to me like we've got a job. If we look at, um, if we look at the concept of, of uh, servant leadership and we see God in, in the leadership position and, and he provides for us, then part of our job is to, to, to take care of this earth. You, we, we're, we're to use it, but we also have an obligation to take care of it. And so we're, we've been given as stewards of what we've got. Uh, so it, it's, a it's kind of a balance. But yeah. making use of what's there, but at the same time taking care of it. We've been given a, a, a responsibility. Yeah, uh, that's responsibility is the word that I think has come up before yeah. we've had these kind of conversations, right? Dom dominion does not mean domination, although that's often yeah. right, right, right. 
Um, and again, we look at what God does, uh, Genesis 1, in that creation account, it's all about God taking chaos and bringing goodness out of it by kind of taking control of it or getting a handle on it. And so that's what we're called to do, right? Because earth can be pretty chaotic sometimes. Um, and so if we can bring goodness out of that, then we're doing the creative work that God did. And then again, in chapter two, in the other, the second creation account, and we see similar uh, instruction from God. So Genesis 2, verse 15, says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to, uh, my version, to till it and keep it. Uh, anyone have other translations there, those last two things that we're supposed to do for creation? To work it and take care of it, the NIV says. Okay. Any other, anything similar? You no, know, and that gives, that gives credence to what we talked about. This was during, the, this was the Garden of Eden. So even though everything was provided, man still had a, had a purpose. He still yeah, had something. There was still he work in the garden. Sit, yeah. He didn't just sit around and twiddle his thumbs. He had to, yeah. to, to take care of even the Garden of Eden required mm -hmm. caretaking. Right. And you can, you can infer from later in the story that uh, it wasn't too hard, right? There weren't a lot of thorns and those sort of things <laughs> to come along later. But yeah, there's still work to do. Work is not a bad thing. Um, yeah, mine just says work it and watch over it. Yeah, watch yeah. over it. Uh, and so these, those words can be read in a lot of different ways, right? You can read it in an agri agricultural sense. They can have that meaning. Uh, but that first word can mean uh, like cultivate or serve. Uh, it's sometimes used in like a priestly sort of way. And the second word can mean like to guard or protect, right? So we serve and protect creation. That's, that's our duty. That's our calling. Uh, and so the idea is, in fact, that we serve creation, not the other way around. It's not just here for us. We're here for it. Um, because, right, we don't just want to let it go on its own, right? I mean, if you've done any sort of gardening, you understand this, that if you just let it go, it's going to go all over the place, and, um, right, but you actually make the plants better and healthier and grow more if you can take care of it, and so that's kind of the picture of what we're meant to do for all creation, uh, for the animals, for uh, even in our relationships, that we're helping other people to be more fruitful, not to be controlling yeah. and dom domineering, yeah. Uh, but we're helping them to grow somehow. Well, and I think it goes beyond that. I think it also, that this also carries a responsibility to not damage things. I yeah. mean, uh, we've heard uh, some of the, the uh, uh, physicians talk about things now, and one of the things that they say in there uh, is to do no harm. Mm -hmm. So to me, we also have a responsibility to not damage the creation. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's tricky, right? It's to help things flourish, right? That's, that's the ultimate goal, right? You do prune your trees, but that's not just to hurt them. It's to help them grow. Uh, whereas mo a lot of times we're just trying to use it as to get as much value out of it as we can. That doesn't seem to be what we want, right? And in fact, the rebellion in chapter three of Genesis, you can read that in a lot of different ways, but one of them is that they use creation selfishly, right? That they are deciding between good and evil instead of trusting what God says about those things. And so what you see there in several passages in Genesis 3, uh, 17 to 19, is that sin, that rebellion, the decision to uh, be dom domineering, actually curses creation, right? And so there it talks about thorns and thistles coming out, the ground is harder to work. Um, and then other places like Hosea chapter 4, we won't go and look at all these, uh, it talks about how the people are sinning, and because of that, the land is mourning, um, right? So you're seeing there a connection between how people live and treat each other 
often relates to how we treat. Uh, we've looked before at Romans chapter eight uh, about that statement of creation is subjected to futility and death and that it's groaning to, to also experience restoration. And right? so this is the effect of what we're, we have done and still are doing to creation. And so as a response to that, God calls and saves a group of people. So, right, this is Israel in Genesis 12, starting with Abraham. And the purpose is that they could kind of be the model uh, humans that would reign and care for creation and bless it. But Israel, because they're human, uh, never quite gets it right. And they make the same mistakes. And so eventually God becomes one of us and comes into creation to help us fulfill our vocation, right? To help us do what we're meant to do. And this is Jesus, right? He participates in the brokenness of creation while still showing God's love for it. And God so loved the world, right? And Jesus' death and resurrection, that salvation is about enabling us to live free from sin, right? And get back to what we were meant to do in the first place. And through his ministry, again, through his death and resurrection and the gift of the spirit, uh, God's kingdom is breaking through now, right? We see signs of, of this goodness. One late addition. Um, and so this is where we are now, right? The, right now we have the gift of the spirit, the presence of Christ. Uh, we can get back to what we're meant to do, I do. Uh, and so one day though, we're waiting for that day when, when the kingdom will fully come, when uh, we will be fully with God and, and heaven and earth are restored. Uh, and those pictures that we see of uh, the new heavens and the new earth, the restoration of all things. And there we continue to do what we're meant to do and finally able to do that fully, right? We can do it in part now and it's important that we do. Uh, but the point is that God's purpose for us to lovingly care for creation, uh, God's not gonna not give up on that, right? God's always working towards that. And I, that's why I think we have to believe that God's not gonna just do away with creation because that would be God giving up on what God intended in the first place. Right? He didn't just wanna make us to pull us out of his good creation. Uh, he made us to help partner in making creation good. And so that's where it's all going. And so uh, we can look at some of these, we don't need to look at every one of them, but we've got several passages here that talk about this big theme of our, our, our rule or our responsibility for creation. Uh, Psalm 8, I think we may have read before there, it's like, you know, what is humanity that you care about us, right? We don't seem that great, and yet you put all these things under our feet and it very much mirrors the language from Genesis 1. Uh, this idea of us um, having responsibility for, for creation. Uh, and then you get uh, into, even into the New Testament, right? Jesus in the Beatitudes says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, right? Unless that's uh, another time when the meek are going to kind of miss out. Uh, it's pointing towards us inheriting uh, what God has in store. Uh, in Matthew 16, this is where Peter makes the famous confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And he, Jesus there talks about giving the keys to the kingdom, right? And, you know, I think we're right to assume he's not just talking about Peter. He's talking about the church, right? That the church will overcome the gates of Hades, which is really the idea of death, right? That, that that's not going to stop us from living out what we're meant to do. But the idea of giving the keys to someone, just like, you know, when you give your kids the keys to the car, you're giving them responsibility. And so that's the idea that God, Christ is doing that. To the church. 
Uh, there's a really interesting passage. Let's go ahead and just look at it because I think it's almost kind of funny the way that Paul talks about this. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, this is a conversation that's actually about lawsuits uh, among uh, believers in the church and why Paul thinks that's such a horrible thing. Um, they're going to these unrighteous judges to take care of their problems they should deal with. They ask these rhetorical questions that, uh, I don't know, maybe they already knew the answer, but I think a lot of times we didn't know this. <clears throat> Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels, say nothing of ordinary matters? All right, Paul can just take it for granted that, well, yeah, of course, we're going to be judging the world somehow. Right? And we'll talk about judgment next week and how, how that comes in. I don't know exactly the details of how that works. But the idea is that we're going to be participating in what God is doing, what Christ is doing in the final judgment or, or after in, in some sense. Right? But that's not just something that happens to us. We're a part of that process, it seems. Uh, in 2 Timothy, he talks about us, we will reign with Christ someday, and that's a very common theme in Revelation as well. Uh, Revelation 5 talks about that uh, those who are, are with the, the slaughtered lamb, they will reign on earth, right? Uh, which, and some interpret that as like this kind of very short period where, you know, Jesus comes back to earth, and we get to reign here before we get to go to heaven where it's all headed which I don't think is, is the storyline of Revelation, right? Go to Revelation 22, uh, the very end of the book and of the New Testament. Revelation 22, verse 5, this is in talking about that scene of, of the new heavens and the new earth, and when they have come, uh, it says in verse 5, there will be no more night, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Right? So that's, this is the common theme, right? That, that we will reign. Or, or rule, however your translation says it. So, I don't know, how do you understand that reign idea? What do you think that, that means? How literally do we want to take the idea of us reigning or ruling? What do you think that could look like? I think that, like, the reigning and ruling parts does sound more like dominion, but, like, the verses in like Psalms and Matthew sounds kind of more similar to the idea of like having to be responsible for it and taking care of it more than reigning over something. So I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. Right? They kind of use that word and, and you have to figure it out. I think there's another place where, well, we look at Jesus, right? He shows us uh, what God is like. And as he says, he didn't come to, to be served. He came to serve. And, and I don't think that changes fundamentally even as he has ascended into heaven as Lord, right? That it's still this servant leadership. In Revelation, where it talks so much about this reigning, he is always referred to as the, the lamb, right? the lamb who was slain. And so that's the pattern for us of, of what it means to have any sort of authority or rule, that it's not to boss people around. Um, right? To me, it's still about that original calling. It's not saying there's going to be some hierarchy and, right? You did this many good deeds uh, and got these many jewels in your crown, as we like to say, and you get to be over this many people and, and then it's, you know, this chain all the way up. That, that doesn't really seem that, that much in tune with the story of Christ. Uh, so again, I, I read all that as pointing to uh, our original calling and destiny, right? That's what we're destined to do. God is going to make sure that happens. 
So you don't think there'll be a mansion on the hilltop? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. Yeah, a lot of times that feels a little more like just getting what we want. And it's a little yeah. bit selfish. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, this idea of reigning, you know, kings, we talk about a king reigning over, over a, a country or, or a people. And, and we see that there are good kings and there are bad kings. And that, that some of the kings take care of their people. Some of them take advantage of the people. So uh, I, I guess that's what I see. I see that that that, that this could be uh, uh, a reign. And that doesn't mean taking advantage. And that doesn't mean uh, uh, misusing. Uh, there's still, once again, that, that word responsibility of, uh, of, of, of reigning in the proper way. Yeah. Yeah, right. And that's where I understand the idea of destiny, right? And when scripture talks about predestination, that's a big conversation I don't want to get into. <laughs> it's all about the idea that, yeah, we have a destiny, right? Not individuals, but as humanity, God has a destiny for us uh, to do this, what God said in the beginning. Again, God doesn't give up on that, and, and we'll get there eventually. Um, and it may not be fully until the next life, but God's not uh, going to quit. All right, so... Again, now we can think a little more specifically about what what it'll be like, what we can do. Again, here we're in a lot of ways just kind of kind of guessing, but we have a little bit of a framework to think about it. Um, I think you know we go back to the idea of the eternal worship service, and and sometimes it kind of feels like, oh man, that's that's kind of boring, right? And you'll hear people today, maybe they're not really believers, that say, well, I'd rather go to hell because there's going to be a lot more fun people there, and <laughs> you can do uh, whatever. Right. And I think it's actually right. That's showing away our, our thinking gets a little distorted that we think the, the sinful things are what's fun. Right. And I think well, it comes across yeah. in. Oh, go ahead. Well, you know, I, I, I think I told you this one time before, but my dad used to say that, uh, you know, for those people that, that, that don't like that sort of thing, for them going to heaven would be hell. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's, right, again, how we think of it. And uh, I think this is where C.S. Lewis will help us with the great divorce of the idea of being God's presence or, like, to, to fully enjoy the goodness of things, right? Only God, every, anything good is made by God, right? All that evil can do is kind of twist it uh, and give us a perverted version of it. And so heaven's where we're going to fully experience the goodness of, of these things, right? And a lot of the good we experience now is it's just kind of, a taste, all right? It's not bad. It's still good. And as long as we're seeing it as coming as, as a gift from God, they're going to enjoy it fully. And again, as I mentioned earlier, I think there's a little kind of chart on the handout. Uh, this is maybe one way we could think about it is, again, make a distinction between the, the kind of present heaven, uh, being with Christ when you die, compared to the, the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth, right? That maybe that right now it is more of that just being God's presence in worship. Uh, but when God restores all things, then it uh, can continue to grow, right? That it's not static in the new creation. Uh, for eternity, we're, we're, things are greater, right? We're growing more, learning more. We can always go deeper in, right? That's also an image from the great divorce. So you can just keep going further in into the country, right? It's all heaven. It's all good, but it's just... You, you don't, there's not a way to get bored of it somehow, right? It kind of breaks down if you try and make sense of it, but I think that's not a bad way to, to think about it. 
All right. Uh, one specific thing uh, that often comes up in scripture talking about the age to come is the idea of like a banquet or a feast or a party, right? this eating and drinking. Right? And so I do want to just take a second and think about that particular image. Um, we even see in, in the resurrection accounts of Jesus that in his resurrection body, he's still able to, to eat. And he sits down and eats with his disciples a couple of different times. Right? It's a spiritual body, as Paul says, and it's hard to pin down exactly what that means. Um, but it's somehow, right, there's still some sort of way to enjoy creation. So we see Jesus doing that. Uh, going back to Isaiah chapter 25 in the Old Testament, one of the kind of early hints towards resurrection. Uh, in Isaiah 25, it talks about the defeat of death. And, but along with that, it talks about enjoying, you know, the finest meats and wines and things like that. Uh, Jesus in Luke 22. Uh, let's go to that passage, actually. Luke 22, verses 29 and 30. And in fact, uh, this isn't a parable, but a lot of Jesus' parables, when he's thinking towards the age to come, he'll use images of, of a banquet or a wedding. Right? It's just kind of an obvious place to go as you're thinking about enjoying something together. Uh, but look here in Luke chapter 22, verse 29 and 30. It says, uh, I confer on you, just as my father's conferred on me, a kingdom. Right? That's actually also picking up that reigning idea, giving the kingdom, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Right? So you're seeing both that reigning idea and sitting at his table. Right? Um, and then also Revelation 19, uh, it's kind of almost presented as a wedding between the lamb and the bride. And so it's a wedding feast. Uh, and so, I don't know, why do you think um, they would use that kind of banquet or feast or party or meal imagery? Um, describe the mood of a wedding meal or like a holiday gathering. Why would that be uh, such an appealing image? We like the fellowship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, being with other people. Is, is I mean, that, that, that's what we're struggling with now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can talk, but we can't eat together. So it's just not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think like in that time, I mean, having a, a big holiday gathering and a meal is about as good as entertainment gets. Like there's mm -hmm. not really anything. Yes. Yeah, no TV. Yeah. <laughs> right. Anything beyond that, that's, that would be any more entertaining. That's probably like the most fun they could imagine having. Mm -hmm. It's just hanging out with people that you like and eating good food. Yeah. And I think it also has that idea of reunion, right? You know, when you go to a wedding, you probably are going to get to see people you haven't seen in a while uh, or with, with holidays. And so, yeah, that's also pointing towards the reunion, the relational aspect of it. This feast is not just me and God sitting at a table, but we're all around the table, right? Uh, well, and I think, too, if you go back, I think it's in Acts where, you know, it talks about the, the early Christians uh, going from house to house and, 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 and having meals with each other. And, and I mean, they, they just, uh, they, they enjoyed each other's company. Mm -hmm. And so, right. I, you know, I can see that would be one of the beauties of, of heaven is, is being there with, uh, with people that you enjoy being around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it should make sense because one of the central acts of our worship that Jesus gave us is to come around the table and, and yeah. share 
bread and wine together, right? So that, that's pointing towards the end too, I think. So, and again, I don't know how, how literally or metaphorically we want to take that in terms of eating and actually drinking and, and having meat and all these things. Um, maybe that may be true, or it may just be a way of pointing towards, you know, one of the greatest joys in this life. That's what it's going to be like there, right? Whatever it, that, that feeling of being together and sharing that joyful meal, uh, that's what it's going to be like there. Uh, another idea uh, is kind of going back to what we talked about with, with Genesis 1, that it's both rest and work somehow in, in union, right? Um, you know, I think of like the movie Chariots of Fire, you know, about the, the Olympic runner. And what he says at one point is, when I run, I feel God's pleasure, right? He's doing what he loves and he feels connected to God in doing that. And, and hopefully we all have something like that. Maybe it's your you know, actual job. Uh, or maybe it's not, but hopefully we all have something where when we do it, we feel connected to God. Right? Yes, we're, we're working, we're putting forth some effort, we're not just sitting around, but we almost enjoy doing that work because it gives us that connection, right? It doesn't feel as much like work. You lose yourself doing something you enjoy because it's something God has given you to do. I think that's a way also to think about uh, that heaven is not just sitting around on your uh, recliner cloud, uh, but that we're engaging in something and it's uh, we're, we're growing and, and we're seeing the fruits of, of what we do. Most yeah, you know, all the things, way, but even in like a relational way, but, but everything we're doing is, is fruitful and it's helping us to grow. We can say, Don? Yeah, things that, that I'm really thankful for is that the, the job that I had for my entire career was a job that, that uh, gave me satisfaction because I was providing some, a, a need that people need, water. And, uh, and in some cases, when I came here, uh, a sewer system. So these are things that, that civilization cannot live without. And so it gave me a sense of, of purpose mm-hmm. to feel like that I was providing a, a, a need, if you will. And uh, that, that, I felt like that was my purpose and that was a godly purpose. Yeah. That's what vocation means, right? That we all have some sort of calling from God and, and it may connect with your uh, actual work. It, it may not in, in, in different ways, but we all have that, right? We're all created for a purpose. There's good works that each one of us can do uh, and maybe that only you can do. And so, and this is what we'll get into next week as we talk about judgment, especially with first Corinthians three, uh, that, you know, we're building for the kingdom, right? We don't build the kingdom ourselves. We also don't just want to rely on Jesus to do it for us, but we're building for it with the power of the spirit that God has given us. Um, so that's where it's all pointing. All right, as we're wrapping up, I want to look at one other passage that, that seems to point in a different direction. Uh, this is Second Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 4. 2 Peter 1, 4. It says, he has given us through these things, his precious and very great promises, so that through him you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants in the divine nature. Now that's a big phrase there at the end, to participate in the divine nature or, be, or share in the divine nature. Um, all right, that sounds a little more like some sort of mystical union. Right? Maybe you wouldn't expect to find that in... Uh, Christian scriptures, but it is there, and there's a lot that's been written about that idea, Um, and we're not getting into all of it because we're wrapping up, 
you see that it's not that we become God, uh, but that we're united with God, right? That we're sharing in God's nature, right? I think uh, we're retaining or even finding our true self, right? That uh, there's a lot of ways we have our false self. That, that's what the flesh refers to is the stuff that we think is us, but is really distracting from the true us, who we are hidden in Christ and God. Uh, and so we, we don't lose ourselves in the end because that's uh, to me that's kind of the emphasis of resurrection that you're still you in a fundamental sense and yet we're related and united to god in a, a totally new way right we're actually sharing in that that nature of god because again the the nature of god as trinity is is relational it's it's built around love and sharing that and so we're always gonna if we're growing to be more connected or like god we're going to be more growing in love. And again, that implies a relationship with others. Um, and so at its core, that's what we're going to be doing, right? We're not just doing fun things to distract ourselves or that we enjoy, but that we're learning to grow more closely to God and more closely to each other and, and anything that helps us to do that. So as we close, um, right, the point of, as I've always said, the point of thinking about the afterlife is to think about this life. And so, as we've talked about our purpose, the question to think about is, how are we living out that purpose now? If we're created in love and created for love and created to bring more goodness out of chaos of life, how are we doing that now? You can do it now. You don't have to wait. We've been given the spirit through the power of Christ. And so we can always find ways to join in that creative work of God to bring more goodness and beauty and truth into creation because uh, the world definitely needs it uh, so the world needs you so go and find out what that looks like this week and we'll see you next week thanks everybody